Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's a rocket man. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast where two movies with something in common go head-to-head to find out which one does it better. On this week's episodes, in the red corner, Joe Johnson directs a World War II action-adventure about the nicest bloke in the world doing battle with Nazis. But it's not Captain America the First Avenger. Rather, we're talking about 1991's The Rocketeer. To some, it was the fulfilment of a dream. To others, it was an instrument of destruction. A creation that could change the course of history. It was stolen from my factory. Where's the package? This is the FBI! What do we tell the president? Tell me exactly why this merchandise is so important to the feds. It's a rocket. A rocket? Well, in the blue corner, we've got the movie on which the Marvel Cinematic Universe was built. Directed by Jon Favreau, it's the film that set the template for all future MCU movies with its light tone, inexpensive stars, crap villain and post-credit sting that would force millions to sit in their seats for an agonising additional ten minutes when they really needed a wee. (laughs) Starring Robert Downey Jr. as himself, it's 2008's Iron Man. No one's allowed to talk, is that it? You can't talk? No, you intimidate them. Good God, you're a woman. (laughs) Is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? I humbly present the Jericho. To peace. Tony Stark. Now you work for me. What are you building, Stark? So what connects these two movies, and which one does it better? You're about to find out in Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello Clash Podders, I'm Chris Tilley. I'm Vicky Crompton. And welcome to this week's Rocketman Ruckus, as the Rocketeer goes head to metallic head with Iron Man. So these were Vicky's choices, and she very kindly agreed to pick a pair of superhero movies because of our special guest. Yes, sadly, there's no Alex Zane this week, but we've drafted in a substitute who can, as the football pundits say, do a job. (laughs) You might know him from his days as a writer, presenter and editor at IGN, and he's currently one third of the amazing RKG video. But let's be honest, he's best known for the two years he spent sitting on a couch presenting the superhero show next to me. It's Daniel Kruper. I, I should say thank you, but it feels like a bit of a poison chalice to set me up as a superhero expert on the internet. I thought you were going to say, I should say thank you, but I'm doing you a favour. So. <laughs> you know you're you know you onions. Yeah, but one misstep now. <laughs> <sighs> 
our, our audience is quite forgiving and okay, quite nice, good. though. That's yeah, good. it's not like the IGN comment section. Okay, okay, well, I'll, I'll relax now. It's a bit more chill. So how are you doing, Daniel? I'm good. I'm really excited about talking about these. I've not seen The Rocketeer for a very, very long time. No, me neither. Um, it feels like travelling back in time three years as well to be sitting in a studio talking about superhero movies <laughs> with you. Because we've done it since, but it's been in the pub after screenings. Yeah, and back then you didn't used to do the intro, Monte. <laughs> <laughs> You've come such a long way. So this is the sober version of that conversation. <laughs> Um, right, down to business. Um, so the clue Vicky gave was, I'm not the man they think they am. No, that is not the clue I gave. That's what you said initially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's fair. Right, fine. Um, what was the clue you gave, Vicky? The clue I tried to give was, I'm not the man they think I am at home. Which... If that was the clue you got, would you would you go, oh, that's got to be Rocketeer and Iron Man? Don't no, put, I'd, put say, him on the spot. I'd say Summersby. <laughs> Summersby. That's excellent. It's because it's the lyrics to Rocket Man. You do know that, don't you? Oh, oh I haven't actually clocked that. <laughs> oh, apology accepted. <laughs> Fucker. So is it, but we've already done Rocket Man. I understand that. <laughs> So um, I added to that clue on Twitter with uh, you'll believe a tin can fly because mm. I, I, it's tin can in there as well. Um, and on Twitter, we had some guesses. So uh, Nadia Fenty said, uh, I read these to my husband. He suggests Apollo 13 and Interstellar. Um, we're not here for your husband's guesses, Nadia. We want your guesses. Uh, but th- that's a good that's a good double. I like that, yeah. Um, Brian Paul Scipioni. I know a Brian Paul Scipioni in Austin. I'm guessing it's him. There can't be that many uh, Brian Paul Scipionis. I don't know. I but if it's you, Brian, thank you for listening. And he suggested Explorers and Flight of the Navigator, which we also had an email this week asking us to do that pairing. So I think... We've got to do those two sure. at some point. And uh, Marion suggested True Lies versus Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which really does tie into your uh, clue very cleverly. Yeah, that exact pairing is on my list, but I didn't didn't make it with the clue. Um, <laughs> but I'm really glad that she Yeah, I think that. True Lies is quite hard to it's track It's really down. hard to find. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, Simon Alderley, uh, three minutes after we put the clue up, said a long shot but Iron Man versus the Rocketeer. Three minutes after he Googled the lyrics to Rocket Man, and then he got it, is what you mean to say. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Um, so, yeah, you're right, Simon. Congratulations. Uh, so we kick off with uh, connections. Um, obviously, Elton John is the big connection. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the obvious one. But uh, when you were watching these two films, Dan, did you spot any additional connections? Mm, um, slightly stretch, but... Um, superheroes created by Howard Hughes. Ah, <gasps> I've yeah. got a big section on Howard Hughes for this because Howard Hughes obviously is explicitly in um, Rocketeer. Howard Stark is essentially Howard Hughes, mm. and Howard Hughes was one of the original inspirations for Tony Stark, and they've kind of retconned it as his father in the movie. And the production of Iron Man was even based in the old Howard Hughes sound stages in California because he was a movie producer first. Yeah. So, yeah, Howard Hughes is basically all over both of these movies. That's a good one. Vicky? I just got, yeah, I can fly. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but, you look so shocked. But not for 40 minutes, because neither yeah. of these characters flies until the 40th minute in both films. Oh, man, it's a bit of a surprise he can fly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a good, I mean, we, you kind of expect it. Yeah. That. Yeah, uh, but Vicky, what is the official connection? It's, yeah, I can fly. <laughs> Flying men, rocket men, men who can fly. Mm. That's Excellent. The connection. Excellent. Right. Um, uh, let's get on with it then. Uh, we discussed the films in chronological order, and with the Rocketeer hitting in 1991, that means I'm up first. So here goes. If Tony Stark is the cocky, sexy, edgy face of jet-powered superheroes, then Cliff Secord is his duller, straighter, square-jawed, but slightly less sexy counterpart. A pilot without a plane, the Rocketeer kicks off with Cliff finding a jetpack that was crafted by Howard Hughes and which is wanted by the Nazis. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. Rather than hand it over to the authorities, however, Cliff straps it to his back to visit a swanky restaurant, show off at an air show and impress his girl at the Griffith Observatory, suggesting Cliff and Tony might not be all that different after all. What's the matter? I don't know. There's something under the seat. Oh, my. What are you doing here? What are you supposed to do? Is it a bomb or something? No. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. How do I look? Like a hood ornament. Stand clear. What was that? A flying man! 
Are you trying to kill yourself? I like it. Uh-oh, we got company. You steer, I'll push. Or what? I want that rocket, Eddie. Not next week, not tomorrow. Now. Keep your eyes open for this dame. Jenny's in trouble. They're working for a Nazi agent. With an army equipped with these, you could rule the world. Cliff! You touch one hair on her head, I swear I'll... <laughs> Shoot him! Girl, the rocket will come to us. I love her, Peeve. Does she know that? She's gonna find out. Let him have it! Hand over the rocket! The Rocketeer. Go get him, kid. So. Let's get in. Let's get into it. Um, I'm not going to start by asking how this film came into your lives, as last week Vicky and Alex made it abundantly clear that they hate this way of opening <laughs> up the conversation. I, I like it when you're here because you'll be like, "Oh, I interviewed uh, whoever." Oh, she does a good you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but that's that how, <laughs> that's our sort of yeah go to mm. apologies. I like it when you're here. You have a story. Um, I just don't ever have any stories, do I? Or if I do, they're really sick. I just know I've got a story for Iron Man, so. It's up to you if you want to bring it back in. Totally up to you. Do you have any history with this film? I mean, you mentioned earlier you haven't seen it since you were 11. I don't think I've seen Rocketeer since I was like 10 or 11. And I remembered enjoying it a lot as a kid. And then I watched it last night and I recognised that I liked the films that came later that would like this. When I went back to the original, it wasn't very exciting. <gasps> it wasn't exciting. Mm. I was going to describe it as charming, and then I realised I used the word charming to describe things I don't like. You that don't much, like, but, but you off. don't want to say. <laughs> oh, it's very charming. Oh, it's charming. But I always describe you as charming, Dan. <laughs> Spot on. Uh, let's talk about a bit of background on the film then. Uh, this, uh, the Rocketeer, was the brainchild of a guy called Dave Stevens, um, who wrote comic strips. He worked on the Hanna Barbera cartoons, and he did the storyboards for Thriller and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Really. That's a good fact. Yes, that is a good... There's a couple of those coming up because um, the director of this film has a similarly awesome background. Uh, but the comic book was first published in 1982 and it was an immediate hit and they started developing a movie in 1985. At one point, there was going to be a low-budget black-and-white version. Mm, I'm not sure about that. With 80s technology... No one's seen that. No one's watching that. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining the the aha take on me video, but Which is like brilliant. That. Yeah, actually, no, that's quite good. Yeah, it would have been amazing. Actually, that future fantastic. <laughs> What's going on in that mirror? But uh, uh, didn't get off the ground. But post Batman, Disney were interested in a superhero who could sell toys, and that's when uh, Bigfoot and the Hendersons director William Deere came on board. Any Bigfoot and the Hendersons fans in the house? Not overly. Oh. I've been trying to think of something to pair it with. Okay. And all I've come up with so far is three men and a baby because it's about things entering a household and changing the household. But then yeah. to compare a baby mm. to a Bigfoot is probably... Is that misjudged? No. Um, all right, I keep thinking about that. But um, William Deere was going to direct and uh, Disney demanded a more family-friendly version of the story. So a couple of screenwriters called Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo got to work in making uh, writing sort of a PG version of this. Um, Disney wanted to contemporise it, but the writers convinced them that this could be their Indiana Jones. And Frank Darabont, um, who has actually worked on Indiana Jones scripts in the past, even did a polish on the screenplay. And that's when Joe Johnston, uh, who had just made a fortune for Disney with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, boarded the project. And his background was in uh, similar to Dave Stevens in that he created both the Atat and Boba Fett's armour on the Star Wars movies. So he has strong geek uh, credentials. Good TV, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he had a horrible time making Honey, I Shrunk the Kids uh, for Disney, but because they had the rights to The Rocketeer, and he was desperate to make that movie. He uh, got back in bed with House Mouse. So that's the background. Um, casting, though, was quite interesting on this film. Um, in terms of people who didn't play the Rocketeer, uh, Bill Paxton uh, went down to the wire for him. Could you see Bill Paxton in this? I would have loved to have seen Bill. Nothing against... Um... Give me the name. Uh, well, uh, it Bill was, Campbell. Well, it, it was Bill Campbell. Now it's Billy Campbell. Billy Campbell. He's rebranded. Yes. He he he's done an Andrew Cole. As he's got older, he's gone Billy. Who's taking you yeah, off you go the other direction. Yeah. Oh, no. 
Um, what better way to cheat? Um, death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to cheat death is exactly well, you, what you I was say that. Say. You say that. He's in his sixties now, and he's got two children under five. Has he? I know a lot about uh, Billy Campbell so, and the Rocketeer because I've been I've been away for two weeks, and that's so I've had a lot. Of, I've had a lot of time to prepare. And have you ever heard of the the Movie Minute podcasts, Vicky? I feel like Dan will know these. No. So what they do is people. Geeks like ourselves um, take a movie and do an hour episode on each minute of the movie. Oh no! <laughs> and it, the first one. So yeah, it started off with like Star makes Wars, sense. Jaws. It make it kind of makes sense for Star Wars and Jaws. Um, but the Rocketeer is a surprise. When I read about that, it sounded more like an exercise in endurance. There's, yeah, there's about 120 hour-long episodes of the Rocketeer minute, and I listened to a few of them on holiday, but mainly the ones where they had guests on. So they had. Joe Johnson on three times. They had Bill Cam- Billy Campbell on quite a few times. You'd have to, though, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I also love that he's coming on loads of them. Yeah, yeah, free. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like an aviation expert and, and, and a more geeky guy. And when they get into some of the aviation stuff, I'm, it loses me. Sorry, sorry, Rocketeer minute. But um, yeah, so uh, Bill Paxton came close. Vincent D'Onofrio. Okay. What? Yes. Uh, he is quoted as saying, I was offered the Rocketeer a while back. Thank God I had time to think about it. Everything was leading to, well, all this all this fucking bread and this big movie, it'll be cool. Then I had this vision of myself in the costume, me, this big guinea with a rocket on his back. And I thought, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> God bless Vincent D'Onofrio. This is ridiculous. You went for a big payday, is a word. <laughs> and the weirdest story, there's, there's a whole article that this guy, Kerry Kirkpatrick, wrote um, about his experience nearly getting cast as the Rocketeer um, and he wasn't an actor. So he was an animator, uh, sorry, a writer working on animated musicals at Disney and he presented some materials to Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, the big boss, and he said, you look like the Rocketeer. I'm going to cast you as the Rocketeer. So next thing, he's whisked off to an exec's office to read the script. Then he's auditioning for the casting director. Then he's meeting the director to do a secret test screening. And then he just, they never mentioned it again. <laughs> it was all over for him. So he had this weird 48 hours where he thought he was going to be the star of a Hollywood movie, even though he didn't know how to act. But he went on to write the screenplay for James and the Giant Peach, Chicken Run, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And he's done a bunch of animated films. So. Oh, I see the good anecdote. Yeah. That's brilliant. Good for him. Um, but... Uh, Bill Campbell got the role uh, after Johnny Depp turned it down. So um, Bill Campbell says the first time he auditioned, he had long hair and a beard and he wasn't really paying attention. But he got a second audition and so he thought he'd take it more seriously. He bought the comic, realised he looked exactly like the character. So took the comic to his barber, said, give me that haircut. And he said, I realised I really was visually the Mm. character. Who is Dave Stevens as well? Um, Dave based it on how he looked and so he looked like Dave Stevens and, and, and next thing you know he got the part and it's good for old Billy Boy because he had just lost out on a huge role that would have made his career um, he was down to the last two to play Riker in Star Trek The Next Generation oh my god no way mm. and the part the part went to Jonathan Frakes but um, yeah. you can see they look kind of similar as well Jonathan Franz in them but that's that's a totally different totally different dude yeah, so it's a little glitch there um, <laughs> and uh, Billy says that later that day he actually saw Johnny Depp at his agent's office and gave him a big hug and thanked him and he said Depp didn't really know how to take that because hard thing yeah thanks yeah. for fucking that oh <laughs> yeah. you're welcome well no he turned it down but he said I think Johnny was starting to think oh maybe I shouldn't have turned it down yeah. this guy's so happy you get about a massive this. thank you <laughs> would 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 Johnny Depp have made a good rocketeer I don't know if it's easy to say in retrospect now because he's a bigger star mm. and the thing this movie lacks. He was shooting Edward Scissorhands when he uh, when he was meeting with them because they literally um, the, Johnson had me- had meetings with him while he was in his Edward Scissorhands gear. Yeah, it'll put you off, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, they they met at lunch place. And he couldn't eat anything. Give it off. It. You could cut up your food. Stop but... it! Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> you are so Saturday night telly. <laughs> uh, any more background on this one though? No, no. Let's talk about the movie then. And let's start off with Act One, which I'm calling Finding the Rocket. So it's Los Angeles, 1938, and Cliff Secord is a handsome all-American guy who can apparently fly a shoebox if it had wings, um, which is a fitting analogy because he's a bit of a goody-two-shoes, I would say, is our Cliff. You want him to be wilder. I think mm. That's why I think Billy Campbell doesn't work. He's too. He needs to be a daredevil. Like yeah. the first thing when they find the suit and the jetpack, he wants to make money from it. Yeah. 
And I just, I don't, I never get that from him. He seems too clean cut, I think. Yeah. What do you think, Vicky? I think, I think he's, he's required to be an all-American hero. And apart from, he punches his way out of trouble quite a lot, but he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's got the strength to, like, he's quite, he's not slight, is he? But he's not massive. And he just punches his way out of trouble a lot. I wasn't sure about the level of intelligence he might be required to bring. So when you've got... So obviously it's very much in an Indiana Jones style mould, but Mm -hmm. Indiana Jones has a lot of intelligence as well as being extremely charismatic and good looking. And um, Clifford, at one point, when they find the gizmo, says really softly... I wonder if it's a bomb and then just presses it and it's like are you stupid like hey you're a pilot <laughs> that's another thing you it's work around engines all day an engine. but to say oh is it a bomb rather than like ah, it's do, you a think, bomb. do you think there's 10 minutes at the beginning of every day where he comes in and look at the plane and he goes a bomb is that a bomb <laughs> what am I getting in there it's like it's just, it depends how I long asked you fly it for a shoebox I don't know if you were listening but it's I'm patently fly, fly anything me fly a bomb so, so I <laughs> so I was, I was going to say he's an innocent but you're saying he's basically a simpleton. Um, I think it's possibly it's not consistent. So some of the stuff we can get onto, but some of the stuff hit the relationship uh, drama, such as it is with Jennifer Connolly. Mm. That's quite mature. It's quite sophisticated. That brings a level of awareness, self-awareness to that character. But in the initial... Uh, set up when he's flying the plane and it's kind of like an against the odds thing it, it, yeah I agree with Danny he doesn't seem quite like that this could ever go wrong or he's going to do something particularly risky you know yeah. don't press that button I don't know what thing. his qualities are you either want to make him like an incredible pilot which I do think they're trying to get across in that opening sequence because he can land the plane even though it's falling apart around him mm. he's not much of a daredevil he's not got a great mechanical mind he's not he's not the inventor that reverse yep. engineers the backpack he's yep. got someone else to help him so i don't really know what his skills are i guess he is a great pilot which they try to establish in that first scene mm. but you never see much of that no so in that first scene he's flying a tiny plane that's going to take them all the way to the nationals whatever that means um, but that is juxtaposed with a car chase a shootout with gangsters and tommy guns um and i quite like this stuff we meet these gangsters someone gets punched in the kisser someone else says your buddy's getting fitted for a pine overcoat I like this dialogue. Um, and somewhere in all this, the uh, jetpack gets lost. And then we meet Howard Hughes, um, who we discover has created the, the jetpack. Now, in the comic book, that was invented by not Howard Hughes, but Doc Savage. Are you a big Doc Savage fan, Vicky? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, but when Dan and I were doing the superhero show, I did interview Shane Black a couple of times, who has been busy for years working on a Doc Savage movie. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of an Indiana Jones kind. Of, it's it's Indiana Jones. If in, it's Indiana Jones crossed with Superman, basically. So why was Doc Savage cut out of this? Because Disney didn't own the rights to Doc right. Savage, and also they thought like we just established, there's not much recognition of who Doc Savage is to a modern audience. And most people still know who Howard Hughes is. So it was, and they thought it was a more fun historical, to put a historical figure in there. And I think it does, it does work. It's quite neat. I like yeah. how it we- like weaves in a real life figure. Yeah. Um, uh, so he de- he thought he destroyed the jet plat because he was worried that Washington wanted to turn anything that flies into a weapon, but it hasn't been uh, destroyed. Um, Cliff finds the jetpack in one of their planes. Uh, they steal a statue and use it to test the rocket, and it works. So his that's uh... lucky, isn't it? Because <laughs> they lose it and it's a jetpack, and it could go in theory anywhere. It just comes straight back. That's so handy. <laughs> so. So uh, Cliff's number two, his assistant, his mate, PV, mm. played by our old friend Alan Arkin from Gross Point Blank, yep. <laughs> um, says, I can fix this up, Cliff, so you can fly it. And then we are on to the next section of the film that I'm calling Beauty, the Beasts and the Bulldog. We're starting off with the beauty. Uh, Jenny, played by Jennifer Connelly, uh, who Vicky just mentioned. She is the love interest in this film. Um, she is an actress in the comic book. She was not an actress. I've heard a bit about this. What have you heard, Vicky? Is she a stripper? She was Betty Page, basically. Okay. Uh, and you know who Betty Page she was? She was a like pin-up a, girl. Yeah, pin-up girl. Uh, kind of like a glamour model, Yeah, I guess you would say. Um, she, she did nudie pictures, basically. <laughs> nudie. And so Disney did not want the nudie pictures in their film. I could hear, I could detect the disgruntlement in your voice. Stop getting the rockets here wrong. <laughs> so they changed her to uh, an aspiring actress. Yeah. Um, a little bit of 
trivia. Um, in in her later years, uh, Dave Stevens actually befriended Betty Page and yep. gave her a load of money to thank her for letting him basically use her image without paying her. Wow! In his comic books and, and nice. encouraged everyone else who was doing the same thing because she'd become such an icon and yet she didn't. She was completely poor. She never made money off the back of her image. And yeah. So um, he got people together to actually help her out, which is lovely. Uh, and they also made Jenny less of a damsel in distress, which she was in the comic. So they give her a bit of. Hutzpah. Yeah, they do. I mean, she undercovers the plot before anyone else. Yeah. She's tough. Yeah. Um, did you buy their relationship? I have no idea what she sees in him. <laughs> <laughs> He's very good looking. He's very good he? looking. I mean, yeah. And, but that's not every. You know, I say this all. It's not everything, but it is most things. <laughs> <laughs> also, it, the film kind of established they're not really. When she quite easily goes on a date with another guy, they're just dating. Yeah, yeah, she does. Yeah, and I, I think that's very. I think that this, the idea is this is early in their relationship, and I guess that would have developed over the sequels they had planned. I think the only the something that I found a bit jarring, but in a good way, it sort of made me pay a bit more attention, is the argument that Clifford and Jenny have in the diner when this is going to be the moment their relationship sort of fractures. It didn't seem like it was a relationship that had just started. Like their gripe with each other was quite advanced which is like mm. we don't you don't support me and i and you're not you know we're not supporting each other mm. which isn't something you say in the first flush of a relationship that's like you've been which i thought was good like i thought maybe they'd been together for like five years or something mm. and then they got to this point which is like we're not sure we're right for each other but it didn't seem like oh i'm not sure that you're the right one for me for now kind of thing i like the dialogue and i like the argument but if it, it Felt like it was written for a different couple. Mm. Um, yeah, if I've been on two dates with a girl, I'm not running back towards an exploding plane to get a picture of her. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll get another one. I tell what you if it's a nudie picture? If it's a nudie picture, yeah. Are you only ever going to buy a soup in a diner? That really annoyed me. Like... <laughs> you can have whatever you want from the soup section. <laughs> have you got soup of the day? Yeah. It just has to be under £5, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> but... She does love soup, I think, because she has soup with Timothy Dalton later. Yeah. So I was annoyed about it. the soup <laughs> and then the soup paid off. So I've got no... I can't be annoyed about that. Superb. Um, <laughs> but uh, fun fact, they got together in real life, the pair of them. Did they? Yeah. That is a fun fact. That's a hot couple. <laughs> um, her character, Jenny, is excited that she's got a line in a film opposite... Our first beast, Neville Sinclair, played by Timothy Dalton, the number three box office star in America. Uh, we meet him while he's fencing. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Into the microphone. Sorry. How long have you been doing this? But I was aware I was going to shout because I hadn't seen this film before. Um, you'll be amazed to hear. But we meet Timothy Dalton and it's like, wow, look at his house. It's like this Greek temple. Incredible. And then from out of nowhere, he seems to have a sword. Like when you see the character, he's like, I'm a baddie. And then he's like, chop, chop. It's like, yeah, you've got a sword. Of course you've got a sword. He's amazing in this. His character is amazing. He's brilliant. It's perfect. And and he was the big star in this movie. He was still James Bond. Uh, Not for very long, because I think even at this point, they decided he was no longer James Bond, but he didn't know. But he was still, you know, playing the biggest character in movies yeah he feels like an actor from that time he does well uh his character is clearly loosely based on errol flynn yeah and he looks like errol flynn he's got he's got those matinee idol looks he's got that chin and when he's got a mustache yeah and he's in isn't he supposed to be in robin hood basically he is yeah Yeah. exactly errol flynn's you know the great robin hood he's also very villainous yeah, I mean, he's not, he doesn't twirl his moustache at any point, but it feels like he's doing it for the duration of the film. Yeah. And so uh, he has some henchmen. Uh, one of them is Eddie Valentine, played by Paul Savino of Goodfellas fame, um, who's a gangster being paid to, to, to steal stuff for Neville. Uh, Eddie wants his money, Neville wants his rocket, and they have a fun back and forth. Um, and then we meet Lothar as well, who is played by a tiny Ron Taylor, uh, who looks a bit strange, Lothar. Yeah, it was just well, was something that happened in films at that time, isn't it? If you're going to have a baddie and they need to be physically imposing, there just needs to be just put some prosthetics or use an actor. I don't know. It just well, like, to, to scare, yeah, to I scare kids. You're right because a lot Dick Tracy had just happened, yeah. and there's a lot of that in that. But actually, he's based on a guy called Rondo Hatton who's quite an interesting Hollywood character. He's a, he was a real-life actor who had outsized facial features and he was a, the star of a bunch of horror movies in the 1940s. And so Rick Baker, the famous Rick Baker, was brought in to design makeup that looked 
exactly like Rondo Hatton. And he casts quite a large shadow over horror, actually. Um, he's, he's, his image is all over the place. Mark Gatiss played a character who looked like him in Doctor Who. In the Judge Dredd comics, the first time Judge Dredd removes his mask, um, he's got Rondo Hatton's face. Oh, wow. By using, uh, that was in 1978, he's using uh, face-changing technology to make him look like that character. And the horror Oscars are called uh, the, Rongo, the Rondos. So uh, that's why that character looks like that. So I called this Beauty, the Beast and the Bulldog because I also want to talk about the Bulldog Cafe, uh, an old school diner that actually really existed back in the day. So they designed it, uh, they based it on the real thing. And I love the nostalgia in this film. Um, Dave Stevens said, I'd been a 30s fiend for a long time. I loved the music, the clothing, the cars, the look. During the Depression, my dad's family lived in the bottom half of a giant ice cream cone. It probably spurred me to create the Bulldog Cafe. (laughs) And Joe Joe Johnston... Sorry, I just find it... I I do... I know people, like, when people, like, fetishise a decade... I do find it a bit strange, but I understand it. But particularly the depression, it's like, oh, we had nothing and it was brilliant. <laughs> like, well, I mean, they've got restaurants shaped like dogs. <laughs> and he used to live in an ice cream cone. He used to live in an ice cream cone. The, the bottom half great. of an ice cream cone. So he lived in a tiny conical room. <laughs> really <essentially>. small. <laughs> you could fit in your hand. Forever looking up at the sky where the ice cream should be and there's none because it's a depression. So there's nothing. Just all cone. It's just all cone. Is that the best bit? You, so you don't like fetishising a decade but all I ever think about is the 1980s. I know you do. All and I, I, I think, think about, about the 90s a lot as well. But I'm, I just think you need to be aware of the pitfalls. Well, Joe Johnson said that everyone involved in this film seemed to be nostalgic, not for their own childhoods, but their parents' childhoods. And he said, we wanted to make an idealised version of what America could be. And I think you can tell that because they clearly love this material. Everyone involved is the sets and the costumes and that attention to detail, I think, is really yeah, quite and magical. It, and I am fascinated by it. Uh, North American rewriting of history to tell a better story kind of thing. Mm. Like the 30s, yeah, there was a restaurant shaped like a dog. There wasn't. <laughs> There's old cars, but they're old you know, and all of that. But obviously it was a very <laughs> difficult time for millions of people um, and then sort of capped off by a war. Like it's... Um, but you know, when you when you hear about those stories, it's just tales of daring do, mm. and people know their roles and things like that. And there's a lot to be said for the healing powers of nostalgia. But it is also interesting to sort of rewrite history a little bit. And on that anti-American note, let's take a break. <laughs> you get me in trouble. <laughs> if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M. Com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Nicole Goodman. And I'm Lauren Mishcon. In 2020, self-care can seem like yet another overwhelming job for women. Every week, we test out a new kind of self-care so you don't have to. Firstly, can we just clarify how we pronounce it? Kombucha? Kombucha. Yeah. Kombucha. Kombucha. Self-care club. Wellness road tested. So that was the first day. You know, it was just the not slipping into the complete default mode of what I normally do, which is have a go at my husband for what he hasn't done. And, you know, all of that stuff, I kind of stopped. Okay, so it was more the absence of meanness rather than the projection (laughs) of kindness at this initial point. Yes. Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your pods. This week, we are testing out menstrual cups. How are you feeling? Dreading it. I know that you love to give a practice that's all about down below. I'm not interested. I've never even really thought about it since before I met you. You've never thought about your vagina until you met me. It doesn't get a lot of air. It doesn't get a lot of air time. No, it doesn't. The Self-Care Club is a Stakhanov production. And we're back. Anything else you want to say about America before we carry on, Vicky? <laughs> I love America. Good, me too. You said it all off, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're into Act Two, Becoming the Rocketeer. So um, I love as well the behind-the-scenes Hollywood stuff. There's a lot of in-jokes in this stuff. There's a lot of fun to be had watching uh, the actors on set and off set. So we've got Sinclair uh, sword fighting as the Laughing Bandit, um, which, as I said... Very Errol Flynn, as you mm. said, it's very uh, Adventures of Robin Hood. And it seems that his character was based on this rumour that was a big thing in the 80s, that Errol Flynn was actually a Nazi spy. Yeah, I read about this. Yeah. Wasn't it his biographer? Yeah. And he said something like, I can't prove it, but he was. Yeah, he wrote a whole book <laughs> about him spying. And I think it's been since, you know, it's not true, but... Yeah, I think he had yeah. a friendship the with... The minimum you want from your biographer is to say you're not, <laughs> not a not. Nazi if you're not a Nazi. <laughs> That's meeting one for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want you to tell the truth. Don't tell lies about me being a Nazi. Is that, sorry, and do I have to say that out loud? Embellish. I mean... <laughs> yeah. So we see Neville uh, really playing up. We hear that he, he potentially stabbed a co-star because he was... Oh, no, we see him stabbing a co-star because he's stealing a seat. That's so brilliant. It is such a good <laughs> sorry, moment. I did watch this film three weeks ago, so it's all a bit... No, it's fine. He did stab a co-star. He stabbed... Stealing... Is he called Charles? He's like, Charles has been stabbed. He's like, sorry about that. It's really good. And Cliff knocks over some scenery. Uh, and so Neville demands that Jenny gets banned from the lot. But then Neville overhears their rocket conversation and suddenly gets her a role as a Saxon princess. We just have to sound the alarm for bad writing. You overheard the plot. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm only being um, that mean because I think there's some really good writerly touches in this script. Mm. They're only small things, but they're just the sort of... I'm quite geeky about things like that and they're just the sort of thing that when they pay off, I find it so satisfying. So earlier on, Malcolm, Superman's dad, he lets um, he sort of lets Clifford's secret out of the bag that he crashed the plane in front of Jenny. And, and Jenny's like, you didn't tell me that. And that leads to their argument. Malcolm feels bad about that. Mm. Next scene, Malcolm takes to the skies in the plane to sort of save Clifford because Clifford is late. As a clown. As a clown, yeah. But Malcolm wouldn't have done that if he didn't feel bad about it. It's just, da, 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 da. you know, you, you can have mm. anyone take to the skies and you could give it, you could just say, oh, Clifford's late. Oh, someone step in. But just to set up that that's why that character has done it. It's just tight writing. Yeah. Love stuff like that. Don't like you've overheard yeah. the plot. Like you can do better than that. And I think the writers of this, I think, like I said, there's some really good touches. There's more coming up that I'll bore you with. Um, also the huge coincidence that yeah. he is next to that character who mm-hmm. happens to be the boyfriend from the airfield. Yeah, and it's fun. Like, I get the tone of it. I get why it's all sort of dastardly and you can hear through the thin wall, but I just have a particular, like, oh, you, you know, if you've written, they overheard it. Let's just try and work out something I else. Do, I'm happy you said um, Superman's dad, because that <laughs> took me 15 minutes last night of just looking at him going, yeah. who is that? Because it's not even the first thing that comes up on no, his No, you have IMDb, to really look. And I was like... Yeah. That's not, I don't recognise him from any Superman. I couldn't rest easy. I Who? saw the credits. What? Lois and Clark. Lois and Clark. Ah, uh, okay. The Jonathan Kent that doesn't die for yeah. ages. Oh. 
It's just in every episode. Did not clock that. Um, so you mentioned the flying contest. As you said, Malcolm, uh, the clown is flying Cliff's plane, loses control. Cliff, dressed like a hood ornament, um, has to fly. What did you think about the helmet? Because I read that there was some hoo-ha. Yeah, Dave Stevens said, that shit, that's not the helmet. Make what I want. I do think it's bad. Do you? Yeah, I think it makes him look like the swamp thing or some sort of lizard. Right. I just do. Or like a, uh, a Doctor Who, old Doctor Who. Oh, like a... What Cyberman. Cyberman. Cyberman, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I just didn't... I love the... I like the period costume, the billowy trousers, the leather boots, the, mm. you know, all of that. And the jetpack looks really cool and the helmet itself, but it just with the, the... I understand that the rudder is important, but it does look a bit stupid. Yeah. No? It's that period of films, well, the first Spider-Man movies, like there's no expression on Billy when he's doing any of these That's cool true. things. That's yeah. true, yeah. This is a problem that Iron Man solves with the interior camera yes. on him, but you just don't get a sense. Of, is he excited? Is he scared? Is he enjoying it yep. at any of those moments? It's a good point. Um, we got PV stick some gum on the jetpack for luck. One of the writerly touches. Very good. Really, setup. really good. We love a bit of setup and payoff here. That is the setup going on. Yeah. Uh, we see Lothar in action. He folds Bigelow in half. Ooh. That's pretty hectic for a Disney film. <laughs> it is a bit. <laughs> he folds a man in half. <laughs> he does. Kills him dead, by the way. Yeah, but I was I got a little bit fixated on that. Was he folded in half after he was killed, or is that how he killed him? Doing it. <laughs> He's just trying to tidy him it's up. It's like his calling card. <laughs> yeah. oh, has anyone got a bit? Oh, for no. So, so he's now Chris of the Rocketeer and we've got the gangsters after him, the FBI are after him and we now discover that Neville is a Nazi and he's after him as well. Mm. So we go to the South Seas Club. Yay! Where we get some more real life characters. Uh, Clark Gable, WC Fields. Um, yeah, the goons at this time find out find Jenny's phone number on the wall of the diner while the South Seas Club stuff's happening. They do. Have you ever left your number on the wall of a pub or bar or that's diner? how well, that's how that's how we met. So oh, that's, shit, that's yeah. why you're on this you podcast. Always forget. That's why you're on this podcast. <laughs> no, I meant in the actual diner, not in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> There's no business for me in the main room of the diner. I'm I'm all about the toilets. So so the answer is no. Uh, but the South Seas Club. This is where a big set piece happens. Um, Kind of fun. We've got Cliff pretending to be a waiter. You've got a bit of comic relief here. The soup pays off. The soup, the soup pays the soup, off. Superb. I love that he always, minus the helmet, has the Rocketeer outfit on. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that it all takes place over a day and he's running around saying, I'm the Rocketeer and people are going, I don't know what that is. The, yeah. ro- the Rocker Who. The Rocker yeah. Who. That's good writing. When, yeah. when It doesn't pay off, which is a shame, but when he gets hold of Jenny... She says, oh, you're jealous that I'm on a date with Timothy Dalton. And he says, I'm not jealous. And you think that's going to come back later because if you're not jealous, that's annoying. Like you're in a relationship you and you're kind of splitting mm. up. So you do want to make him jealous. So if he's not jealous, why not? And all the rest of it. But we also get one of the best lines I've ever heard, which is the cheers, the, the toast, with the martini between uh, Neville and Jenny. <laughs> what Timothy Dalton says to her, here's to you and the extraordinary way your face catches the light. My God. Smooth talker. You like that? I love that. No one's ever said that to me. <laughs> no. They will. If they said to me, I think I'd have a shiny face. <laughs> you would have a shiny face, that's true. Yeah. And I wear a lot of highlighter in order to get someone to say that <laughs> right. to me. And yet they don't. Uh, Cliff, the Rocketeer, ends up flying uh, riding around the club riding a snail made of ice. Yeah, can I ask you about this? Do you think, uh, as uh, I'm going to call you superhero experts, that's fair, yes? Uh, so you know the canon. Um, better than anyone in the world. No. Um, the, so the, the idea of a jetpack, um, is the use of a jetpack in a restaurant the best use of this jetpack conceit? Like, did you feel cheated? Did you feel let down? When you went to see this film and you were all little and excited, did you think you were going to see a man flying around a restaurant where obviously the height which he can reach yeah. is capped? Like, is that the best use of the of the jetpack? No. I don't think so. No. I think to ride an ice snail, big tick, yeah. fucking hilarious, but it's a bit of a shame that we don't get to see more of the world. You wouldn't see it in a Superman film. That's a good point. And yeah. Superman just flying about in a restaurant. And it's clearly... <laughs> like I'm gonna... a trapped fly, <laughs> a bit. Like you put a glass someone, over someone it. Someone leave a window open for Superman. <laughs> yeah. 
And and the budget for this film did seem to fluctuate quite dramatically while they were shooting at Disney. Gave them more money, take money, took money away. This there was a lot written to the script for this scene that didn't actually make it into the film that was right. cut very last minute, which the screenwriters were quite upset about. I don't know how brave Cliff is in this scene because he does fly off and leave Jenny with the baddies. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> He's out of there. Yeah. Um, she says to Neville, "Do you have to drug all your women to seduce them?" And I love how he spins it. He says, "I'm as much as just as much a victim as you are in this." <laughs> Rather than I, just saying, yeah. yeah. I love Neville. I love Neville. And then Jenny realises that Neville's actually using lines from his movies, which yeah, I think is fun. And so it's a fun scene because they're both playing each other here. And then she finds his little black Nazi book. Before, prior to that, yeah. she finds he's got a wardrobe full of nightwear, for, yes. which got a lot of nighties in that house for a bachelor, I would have said. <laughs> I didn't clock that. He's cool. He's like, would you like to wear the da, 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 black one? <laughs> and he's got wow. tons of gowns. Naughty Neville. Yeah, he's up to all sorts. <laughs> Makes me love him more. But yeah, his Nazi, his little Nazi black book that um, tells us that he's a spy, a saboteur and a fascist. So that's always handy. <laughs> Leave all the evidence in it's like, one. They can't quite say it. She's like, Neville's a... German, then the swastika bang, he's like, Nazi. (laughs) (laughs) And then we are finally into act three, which is stopping the Nazis, getting the girl and saving the day. Uh, Valentine wants to exchange Jenny for the rocket at the Griffith Observatory, Mm -hmm. which I don't think I'd see many films set at that one of the only LA landmarks at the time but now every film seems to take place up there it's like in London when you need that everyone goes up to Greenwich don't they they do seem to go to Greenwich it must be cheap I mean, you can't imagine it is but it must well, be it's a bit of greenery as well there's not much greenery in London so if you want to <laughs> God, I hate London. <laughs> this is because you've come back from Greece. No, it's because I watched that video about the the developers with with, um, with Bob, Bob Hoskins, Hoskins. And Barry Norman. <laughs> I'm still upset about that. Um, and so uh, we got a fun bit of old um, newsreel footage of the German prototype uh, and what the Nazis are planning for hundreds of rocket men to invade America and start burning the stars and stripes. So uh, the rocket man that gets blown up in this piece of newsreel footage, that's Dave Stevens himself. Oh. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Hitler pops up, that is um, the actor who played the short order cook earlier in the film. They said, oh, you look like Hitler. We need a Hitler. So come be Hitler. That's not something you ever want to hear someone say to you, is it really? No, it's not. Payday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so uh, the Nazis and the gangsters fall out. Um, Paulie from Goodfellas says, I may not make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American and I don't work for no two-bit Nazi. Woo! Um, and so uh, Neville starts shouting his germ- uh, in German and his troops emerge, followed by a Zeppelin. And so we've now got the FBI, gangsters and Nazis all shooting at each other while Cliff stands in front of the Stars and Stripes doing his hero <laughs> pose before flying into action. And yeah, big finale on the Zeppelin. Um, did you like this? Did you feel like it crescendoed correctly, this film? Um, I think the setup is really good because, you know, you've got the false end where it looks like he's going to be Clifford or Jenny's going to be killed by the mob. But then when Eddie Valentine sort of switches, that gives us enough momentum to get into a good act three set piece, which I always enjoy. The gum pays off at the very end. It does. He loves. So Cliff hands Neville the rocket, but removes the chewing gum. Love and there's it. a hole in the rocket pack. So. I do love stuff like that. I don't. Yeah. yeah. I just think I just find it so, so satisfying. It's very satisfying. Yeah. 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 Um, Jennifer Connolly kicks a grown man out of the Zeppelin, which is impressive. In films, a lot of women, we we tend to like stand on someone's foot and they just like <laughs> evaporate, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, and I love the, the final visual payoff where Timothy Dalton smashes into the Hollywoodland sign. Mm. Perfect. Yes, because that was a real thing. It was the Hollywoodland sign originally. So yeah, another sort of in-joke. Um, and then... The film ends. The so film ends. The, 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 the Zeppelin exploding was a big nightmare that they had, though, because they really only had one shot at that and they didn't get it. So they had to go back to Disney and ask for another $400,000, which was a big chunk of this budget. Um, and you don't hear that offer. You normally hear we had one shot at it and we got the shot, but they did not. <laughs> they admitted they did not hear. Whoever happens low, she's got. I'm really sorry. Um, You'll never guess. We, we thought we press record. <laughs> so uh, anyone who records a podcast knows that feeling. You said we all checked. We all... <laughs> so uh, Neville's death uh, gets hushed up. Uh, Howard Hughes gifts Cliff a plane, and Jenny gives Cliff the rocket plans, setting up a sequel. 
Yeah. But sadly, we never got that sequel. The film opened fourth at the US box office behind Robin Hood, an old Clash Pod movie, mm. uh, City Slickers and Dying Young, which was a famous flop. So, oh, yeah. Um, it, it, it opened behind them, didn't do good business. Uh, some of that was put down to the poster, which was just a picture of basically, it was like an Art Deco style mm. picture of the Rocketeer with the helmet you don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a school of thought that thinks that that combined with the Disney name made audiences think it was either a cartoon. Yeah. Because that was the business Disney was really in at the time, or it was strictly a kid's film because Disney really, anything, if they made a film for adults or a, a teenage audience, it was a touchstone release, but this was a Disney release. Well, yeah, it's so, like a Disney attraction as well. Like yeah. something from yeah. Tomorrowland. Yeah, it's it like does, exactly. Like future, here's our vision of the future that we came up with in the 1950s. Yeah. It's a very Disney thing. Modern Futurism. Ancient, yeah. 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 Uh, so they all had deals for sequels, but the numbers didn't add up. Uh, that sequel, <laughs> the screenwriter said they would have taken the character to New York, so we would have got a cool-looking Rocketeer 2, but it never happened. Although the Rocketeer is kind of back, uh, Disney Plus has launched an animated TV series uh, based on the character that launched in November 2019, but it's very much based aimed at children. But Billy Campbell voices a few characters in it. Not the Rocketeer. Uh, I think, well, I well, think he, no, he doesn't voice the Rocketeer because I think the Rocketeer might be a kid. But he, I is, think is, he, you see, the, the kid is called Catherine Kit Secord. They give her the jetpack when she's seven. Oh, yeah, no. Is that? It's going to interfere with the school. It's hard to, get, it's hard to, to get kids. <laughs> 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 the toys just get more expensive yeah. every year. It's a nightmare. <laughs> uh, there's also supposedly a sequel in development now at Disney Plus, uh, but that seems to be the case with every Disney property. So whether or not that happens, we will see. Uh, but what it, the film did do was help director Joe Johnston land the Captain America gig because it makes a lot of sense. Yes. And as Alex said to me, maybe that would have been a better pairing than Iron Man. Is that this. what he said to you? He thought he thought we were going to do Captain America, but. I liked, said no. <laughs> I like the Iron Man. But we could have done it. Could have done it. Uh, trivia. Any more trivia? James Horner. I wanted to ask. Well, no, I didn't want to ask. I just wanted a reflection on the score because, like I say, I hadn't seen this film. And the minute it opens, you're like, oh, safe pair of hands. Like, I know exactly what to expect because of James Horner's music. Like, it just sets up, it taps into all those emotions from childhood the grand sort of sweepingness of it. I really, really enjoyed it. It's the fifth James Horner scored film we've done. What All are the, the others? Oh, God. Um, give us a clue. Commando. Did he? Aliens, Jumanji yeah. and yeah. Deep Impact. I wouldn't have got that. No. He's amazing, though. Yeah. And it's an amazing score. On the Rocketeer Minute, one of the things I really like about it is they have their theme tune is that score on a kazoo. <laughs> all right any more for any more not for me okay should we do the bids then uh daniel what was your favorite scene in the rocketeer uh, my favorite scene is the air show rescue scene so his first flight is the minute it's the best action sequence in the movie it's the one where you actually get to see him fly outside not in a restaurant <laughs> um but i guess what we'll talk about this more is this is it's not fully a superhero film. It's a proto-superhero film. It's it's kind of a weird circle of influence. It's a, based on a 1980s comic that is harking back to the pulps and matinee stars of the 1930s, 40s and 50s, which is the stuff that inspired the Marvel comics of the 1950s and 60s that then influenced the stuff that comes out in the 90s. So there's a real back and forth between... Mm. Superheroes and these kind of proto heroes. Indiana Jones is cut from that cloth, but not super powered, but reluctant heroes, which I think distinctly influences the Marvel heroes as opposed to the DC stuff, mm. which comes out in the 1930s and 40s. Very idealized heroes. So I like that sequence because it's the one where you see um, the superhero stuff to come. Doesn't quite work because I don't think you get a good impression of <laughs> what Billy's doing and all of it. Like, is he enjoying it? You get a bit that he's kind of learning on the job. Like a lot of those Marvel heroes do, they know they have these abilities. They're going to have to use them. They're just going to get on with it. They weren't born with these abilities, so they're just going to figure it out as it goes. And I kind of like that. He's kind of messing up. His head's like poking through the cockpit, mm. and he's kind of in like between Malcolm's it. legs. I know. That's a bit... dr- Again, dressed as a clown. Who's dressed as a clown? <laughs> I did. At that moment is meant to be funny. It is funny. Um, 
but I, I, I felt like a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a dick for laughing because it's like I, I started to laugh because he's like, oh, his head's between your legs, ha ha, and then it kind of let me down. I was like, oh, and no, I just feel silly. Like it, I don't it think the scene silly. was. Um, it wasn't executed in that way, I think. I think I was just being childish, basically. And then it, like, kind of from that, it kind of segues into that first flight sequence that you get in a lot of superhero movies where the hero alone tests their powers for the first time and just kind of really enjoys it. Mm. Which you get a lot in the Marvel movies that these powers aren't a burden. This is actually really cool mm. and I actually really like it. Mm. Good superhero knowledge from Croups there, Fix. See? That's why he's here. He, he he does a job. Uh, what's your favourite scene, Vicky? Well, I mean, just purely the scene that I enjoyed the most and just thought it was loads of fun is um, the the Robin Hood, Timothy Dalton at work at the Hollywood studio when you see the film that Neville's in yeah, and you get to see it twice. And I just thought it was really good because the line that's delivered by the princess or whatever she is, is the director's niece and it doesn't go very well. So you see this whole set piece where he swings off the... They're not chandeliers, are they? What are they? Candelabras in yep. medieval times? But who knows? Anyway, swings off one of them, lands on a table. He's like, yeah, I'm a dashing hero. Button the line. And then it's like, we need to do it again. It wasn't very good. And just in terms of the energy and getting to see um, Neville, it's very meta. You know, Timothy Dalton is a movie star, playing a movie star, playing a movie star, basically. Um, and that, it was just, yeah, lots of fun uh, to see that twice. I don't mean to say there was nothing in the Rocketeer that wasn't as good as that, but that just was my favourite bit. Yeah, Mine's a Neville scene as well. I like it when he shoots a bloke at the end for calling him an actor and then claims it was for the fatherland. But really it was just because the bloke called him an actor. Um, MVW, what was your most valuable whatever, Vicky? It was Timothy Dalton. He is sneering, self-serving, charming, dashing. He's just great. Good choice. Daniel? I put the Bulldog Cafe. I've written, <laughs> yeah. very rare to have a dog-shaped restaurant. Very rare. Slash secret lair. Because <laughs> <laughs> they do hide out in the, the head. They do. Yeah. They do. And its eyes are windows. Yeah. Again, more, it should be more building-shaped like things. <laughs> uh, I'm siding with Vicky on this. I've gone for Dalton. I think he's playing a slightly more heroic version of his character in Flash Gordon, a slightly less heroic version of his character in Hot Fuzz. And that he, no one does smiling malevolence quite like TD. Mm. So, yeah, giving it to Dalton there. And if you could change anything, what would you change, Daniel? Mm, it's not nice, but get rid of Billy Campbell. <sighs> <sighs> He's such a nice man as well. I feel like I've got to know him while I was on holiday. You have. <laughs> spent more this time with him. He's been in my ears a lot. Would there be sequels if this was Tom Cruise? <sighs> yes. Daredevil Tom Cruise after doing Top Gun, Days of Thunder. I feel like you get the idea that if you found a jetpack, he's like, put it on my back and film it. Mm. (laughs) He's just perfectly recast it. Yeah. And when I saw some of the suggestions, he wasn't mentioned, but he seems to me the obvious choice. Mm. Logical choice. Um, uh, So I had my change, actually. Uh, So I wrote this stuff up before I went on holiday and I came back and read it and thought, oh, that's a bit harsh. Uh, Because I said recast Billy Campbell. Um, I thought he was a bit bland and maybe the film, the reason the film didn't hit and he didn't become a movie star was because he just wasn't, was just too much, too boring, too bland. But um, but I come back feeling guilty about that. So I've changed it to maybe give the character of Cliff a bit more personality. Yeah, that's fair. And maybe Billy could have done that because I have seen him in a couple of TV shows be really good. Damages, he was excellent in. He's got more to him. I think he was yeah. told to play it as an innocent, to play it like... He's, he's a bit like Superman, isn't he? Just yeah. without the powers, okay, but yeah. just, just this yeah, decent... Yeah, but think of the scene in the diner when the mobsters come in and they they put Alan Arkin's head on the grill, on yeah. the hot plate. Yeah. Billy Campbell does basically nothing. <laughs> and that's his friend. And he's he's an older man. And they're shouting at the woman who runs it. And it's a very menacing scary scene that's what I'm saying is that not the writing is that not in the script the script would have given yeah. him something to do yeah, or why say. is he just sitting there you can't blame Billy and for that all these... like a hero even though the, the rocket pack makes him a superhero he should be doing something anyway yeah yes because then they rely on him punching someone to save the day but there's no apart from the fact that's unrealistic that this, this punch from this man would work why do you think well, what's what's your problem with Billy Campbell's punching well, does, he doesn't look like a big it. guy I think also, he, he only quite... punches him when he's made out the connection to him. He's yeah, like, that's he, true. He's yeah. in the shitty 
punches yeah. someone. Bring this to mate. my door, his and now I'm going to hit you. But you can put Alan Arkin's his face in a bunch of onions. <laughs> I like, think he's you know quite what? a big guy as well. I don't. Probably probably is, I don't yeah. think he's some like skinny Alex Zane like character. I think. <laughs> I think he's a big guy. I think he's burly. But he just sits there, and it's very reminiscent of you know what he's making all his friends stick up for him. Oh, he's Billy's. Oh, not Billy. Clifford's not here. He's not here. He's not here. No, he doesn't stand up and go right. Enough. I am here, and I'm going to save the day. He just lets all these people take the. Flack for him. But, like you say, that's not actually his fault. That's in the script. So what would you change if you could change anything, V? Oh, it's just a little bit of heat between Jenny and Clifford. I, I do, I think their relationship's really sweet, but mm. I would have liked a little bit of, um, just a bit of sauciness within a, a very family-friendly setting, but just something a bit hotter than than what it is, basically. Especially as they were genuinely getting it on. Yeah, you could, and you cannot tell. So You could film film some of that. You could film that. I mean, I don't know about that, you know, contractually, if you're agent, but whatever. But if they were together, then there is something between them anyway, and it's, so it's quite miraculous that that's managed to not get onto the screen, I don't think. <laughs> Okay, that was the Rocketeer. Uh, before we go, a couple more bits of business. We've got the quiz. Yay. Um, you won the quiz last week. I did, didn't I? Isn't that amazing? So I put that down to you not being here. You must make me crack under pressure. You've won a few of the recent quizzes, actually. It doesn't feel like that. I think you'll find. You don't um, celebrate my wins. I, I celebrate your wins. <laughs> All right. I'm keeping score. Um, are you ready for a quiz, Dan? Yeah. So this quiz is called Hero or Zero. I think we've done something similar to this before, but it was fun. Uh, I'm going to name a comic book character and you've got to tell me if they are real or not. Okay. So is this an actual hero or is there zero chance they are real? Have I made them up? So you're going to get the name and a brief description. Starting off with the quack. The Quack has no superpowers, but he's a dealer who supplies drug-addicted superheroes with gear. He became involved with Tony Stark during his brief dalliance with cocaine. I think real. Hero. Hero. Hero or zero. Hero or zero. I don't respect your format. Sorry. That's so... Sorry. Real hero. Real hero. I made him up. There's such thing as the Quack. Tony Stark never did cocaine. Bloody idiot. (laughs) I made that up. That was really good. <laughs> uh, slapstick. He is the class clown who became a living cartoon with a magical clown glove and an oversized mallet that he stored in a giant pocket. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> is that a hero it or a zero? It's probably real, but what's a clown glove? <laughs> They've got big gloves, like haven't they? Mickey Mouse hands. Yeah, Mickey Mouse hands. Yeah. Oh, right. Your clowns have big gloves. Yeah, they do. So, right, so, so hero real, also. real hero. Real hero. Yes. Hero. Let's say zero. Vicky is right. Oh. That is one point to Vicky. He appeared in The Awesome Slapstick in 1992. Uh, 1992? Yeah, he's a new one. Oh. Uh, doorman. <laughs> Sorry. Doorman is capable of teleporting people through solid walls via portal in his own body. But if your name ain't down, you're not coming in. <laughs> hero or zero? Zero. Zero. He's a hero. He appeared oh. in West Coast Avengers in 1989. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <Fucking> door man. <laughs> God. Uh, Bedpool. Bed what? Bedpool is in the Deadpool universe. Right. Uh, Bedpool is a sentient waterbed that soaks, chokes <laughs> and drowns its victims. Hero or zero? Um, hero. Hero. No, I made that up. Oh. Of course there's no such thing as Bedpool. <laughs> what, it's a sentient waterbed? Fucking idiot. In the, in the world of Deadpool, <laughs> I'm, I'm buying it. That's what I was banking on. <sighs> uh, Betty Shrink. A precursor to Ant-Man, Betty was a scientist who tried a shrinking potion on herself, cursing Betty to be small forever. Hero or zero? Hero. Zero. Correct, zero. I made that up. Uh, Betty Shrink was the band I was briefly in at school. That's a good name. Uh, named after Betty Blue. What do you play? I sang one song. Do you sing? <laughs> no. Sang one you've, song been to, in... you've been to karaoke with me. I definitely don't sing. One song, no matter what band he was in. <laughs> <laughs> He'd turn up with it on the first day. Do you like this? Because this is. I, did, I think for them, I did the talking bit and Park Life. So well, not, you didn't bit. even sing? Oh, I can't sing. Okay. I, I, did, I, I did three lines with a band that summer as well. Three lions, did you? The song. I thought yeah. you said three lions. I thought you said three lions. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that song. Uh, the Hangover. This mentalist can mist your mind with a combination of pain, shame, regret and embarrassment. I mean, it's... I'm going to say hero, and I hope it is, because it should be. I'm going to say zero. 
Daniel's right. I made that oh up. Oh my god, that's such a good idea. No, I, what I did is I just described what a hangover is yeah. rather than actually. But it's a good idea to be able to debilitate someone with a sudden hangover. <laughs> Do you not think? Gamecock. Uh, spell it. Uh, G-A-M-E-C-O-C-K, all one word. Uh, Gamecock is a gang leader and professional fighter who attached sharp talons to his hands and feet then made him look like a giant chicken. (laughs) Hero or zero? Hero! Hero. Yep, he appeared in Captain America in 1975 and he looks fucking ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) He's just a big chicken, man. He lasted two issues because people hated him. Uh, Leapfrog. Uh, Leapfrog doesn't have any actual powers, but he does have a suit that allows him to jump really high. That's a power? Zero. Hero. Krupa's correct. He's a hero. He first appeared in February 1967. Uh, the Phone Ranger. <laughs> also, I like that you didn't say a comic then. He just appeared. Yeah, and I've, <laughs> I've, I've written one down. <laughs> <laughs> it freaked people out. <laughs> <laughs> didn't write a comic down. Uh, finally, the Phone Ranger. The Phone Ranger wears a suit that enables him to ta- tap into any phone line on the planet. Well, this is difficult because... It is if um, it'd have to be old. I'm saying zero. I want to say zero. Should I just say hero? Just I'll say hero. Fine. You're correct, Vicky. Oh, really? He's a hero. <laughs> yeah, he was arrested by Iron Man during the Civil War event. Wow. Yeah. Oh. He's shit. He's Always <laughs> skeptical of pun ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, the result is uh, Vicky two, Krupa three. Congratulations, Close. Daniel. That's Close. as it should be. Uh, right uh, next week's films uh, supposed to be picked by Alex Alex what are you picking he's not here Alex what have you told me you're picking he's not told me what he's picking Um, so that's not much use Uh, but I've got two potential pairings that he has previously discussed okay Um, one of them was actually a pairing we were we were supposed to do I found afterwards uh, he was going to do this pairing which I think is a good pairing but he got so upset that Alien and Aliens uh, didn't go the way he wanted to yeah. that he threw his toys out of the pram and he made us do The Relic and House of Wax instead mm. do you remember that? I do remember that yeah, yeah. he had a meltdown he did so I've, I've added that so uh, I've got two clues Daniel mm-hmm. do you want to pick sure. which of these clues you like best and we'll okay. do those two films so the clues for next week's films could be the revolution will be televised or the identity of next week's films are a mystery that you'll all need your powers of deduction to solve. I'm going the mystery. The mystery. Okay. So the clue for next week's films are the identity of these films are a mystery that you'll need all your powers of deduction to solve. So that's it. We're done. Uh, we're back on Thursday to talk about Iron Man with our very special guest, Croups. Uh, in the meantime, please take the time to rate us, review us, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It's hugely appreciated. It means we don't have to sacrifice a lamb to the podcast gods this week. Right, back with you on Thursday to talk all things Iron Man. Goodbye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.